Well, good morning, Covenant Network. How are you this morning? It is Wednesday, October the 27th. We are just one, two, three, four days away from Halloween and five days away from All Saints Day, one of my favorite days. I am looking forward to talking about the saints in a few days, but today we've got some work to do, so let's get to it. Let's begin in prayer as we always do, and um, you know, I have a special intention for us this morning because yesterday in our listening area, there was a police officer killed in the line of duty, and so I want to pray for the repose of his soul. Um, I generally choose not to share names on the air, although if you listen in the news, I'm sure you've heard his name. But uh, I I do want to pray for him and for all those who have died yesterday and for those who grieve their loss. So we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. And may the souls of all the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you on this Wednesday morning, a great week so far, although it's about to apparently become a, a wet and soggy week here in St. Louis, where I'm at. I don't know about the rest of our listening area. I'll leave that to Mike Roberts. He, he's, you know, I could I could guess he could tell you, you know, right? And uh, if, if you have any questions about good good pieces of pipe organ music to play for Halloween, I'm your guy. Telling you what the weather is, not so much, right? You know, but that's, that's why we have Mike, and uh, we're grateful for him. Anyway, beautiful start to the week so far. I'm really looking forward to the weekend. We've got a lot planned, uh, and I'm excited about my costume this year. You know, I I, I know that uh, we we all celebrate this weekend, this this Halloween holiday, and different ways. But I I enjoy uh, I enjoy good quality time with the family and with our neighbors. We have our block party this year on Sunday, and it's just going to be good to be with our friends. We're going to be outdoors. The weather looks like it's going to hold out. We're going to have, you know, fire pits. Um, A little different because of the pandemic and and being careful and cautious, but still a chance to get together with friends and relatives. You'll have to tune in Friday to find out what I'm going to be for Halloween this year, because I'm not going to tell you today, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the weekend. You know, yesterday was a great reminder for me of how you just, when you, when you keep doing things over and over and you focus on what you know you need to do, what you know you need to do, that eventually you are going to see results. What am I talking about? Well, 
I, I've been working on my putting. You know, I'm a golfer. I've been working on my putting. And I used to, you know, what, what's the phrase? Aim small, miss small. But I would aim small and miss by like four feet, right? Yesterday I was practicing. I had the opportunity to practice. And I was missing by inches when I was missing. And it's because I said, you know, Adam, here's mechanically, you know what you're doing wrong. You just need to not do that. You know what to do to do it right. You need to do that. You know, if, if you listen, Monday, Monsignor Morris alluded to that because he and I are, are both golfers. We actually got to play last week, Friday afternoon, and it was wonderful. And we kept joking, you know, like the faith, we know what we need to do, but actually being able to do it are, are two different things. And at a certain point, there's a trust that develops, you know, whether it's in your golf swing or in, in life, that if, if you've been told, do these things and it will help you. And, and you've been told by a competent source who is an authority. So in golf, a good golfer. In the spiritual life, a spiritual master, whether that's you know a good holy priest, a good holy bishop, the saints in their writings, the church in her teaching, you know, a, a, a great spiritual authority says, do these things. There's a, a certain point where, you know, Here's what would happen with my golf swing. The the big thing I would do is I would I would uh, you know I'm bending over the ball with my club, and I would pop up. You know my my head would pop up, my back would pop up because I want to see where the ball went. I don't trust that I hit it well, and that very act of, of pulling up prematurely caused my whole swing to go out of whack, and then the ball would go not where I wanted it to. So now, you know, I just force myself: don't look up, don't look up, keep your head over the ball, stay looking down, keep your eyes where they're supposed to be, and trust, and trust. And now I'm hitting the ball better. It's mostly going where I want it to go, and it's because I'm doing what I know I need to do. Well, you know what, friends? I can't tell you how many times in my spiritual life people say, you just need to do this. I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. Um, but I, I, I just don't know, and am I praying this rosary the correct way? Am I, am I meditating at Mass the correct way? You know, I, I'll be honest, one of my big struggles is that time of prayer before Mass, I used to be like, what do you do? Do you, do you read the prayers on the back of the Missalette? Do you pray a certain set of prayers? And, and everybody does it differently, and what do you do? And finally, someone said, sit there and contemplate what's about to happen. Just think about it. Kind of like I contemplate my rosary, right? And in doing so, in doing so, and forget about whether you're doing it right or wrong. Just take a take a few weeks to sit there and, and contemplate and just reflect, maybe journal or something. But give that time to God and trust that he can do something with it, right? And that was a game changer for me. Now when I get there before Mass, it's it's not, well, am I praying correctly? Am I doing this the right way? You know, I would spend more time fretting over how I was praying than on actually praying. And now I have some really great reflections. Now sometimes, of course, it's interrupted by like, Dad, Dad, can I sit by you? Dad, Dad, look at what Nora's doing. Dad, look at what, what so-and-so's doing. Dad, look at, look at, and this happened, and, and she's putting the kneeler down, and he's standing on the kneeler, and he's doing, you know, that happens. That's par for the course. We've got a lot in store for you today. We've got Father Wade Menezes on the show. We're going to be talking about the last things. The last things. What are they? Well, you'll have to stay tuned to that to find out. However, however, and we're going to talk a lot about it. So, so get ready for that. Uh, we also have a daily dose of encouragement for you later on in the show today. But first, you know, I said we need to go to Mike Roberts for that check of the weather. Let's go do that now. 
For your Wednesday, look for a high of 62 degrees today. It'll be breezy. Winds out of the southeast at times will gust past 30 miles an hour, and clouds will move in this afternoon. But we are dry today. After midnight, that changes. Rain moves in with a low 48, and rain for both Thursday and Friday with breezy north winds and highs in the middle 50s. On Saturday, clouds in the morning, afternoon sun with a high of 60. On Halloween, mostly sunny with a high of 62. Today is the feast day of St. Frumentius of Ethiopia. Born near Rome in the 4th century, as a boy, he and his brother Odysseus were traveling with their uncle in Ethiopia when the boys were kidnapped and made slaves of an Ethiopian king. On his deathbed, the king freed both of them, but the queen asked them to educate his heir. They did this, and they also proceeded to teach Christianity to everyone in the region. Frumentius became a priest, but eventually the Christian community he served grew to a point where official church leadership was needed, so he traveled to Alexandria to ask for a bishop and more priests. The patriarch of Alexandria appointed Frumentius as the bishop of Ethiopia, and when he returned, Frumentius converted another king, Izana, who commissioned the construction of several new churches. When Roman Emperor Constantinus II wanted Frumentius removed and replaced by a bishop who supported the Arian heresy, King Izana refused, and Frumentius remained bishop, growing the Ethiopian Christian community the rest of his life. He died in 383. St. Frumentius, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Well, welcome back to Roadmap to Heaven. Today, we are talking with Father Wade Menezes about the four last things. Now, if you tuned in Monday, you heard us talk about getting ready for death with Monsignor Morris. And today's conversation, and really all of this, started about a month ago when my son pulled me aside and said, Dad, I'm, I'm really worried right now. I said, son, what's going on? He said, I don't want to say it. It sounds silly. And I said, son, let's talk about it. There's nothing off limits. You can ask me anything. And he said, well, I know that when we die, we're going to go before God and we're going to be judged. But when we die, what, what happens? I mean, is it like just does everything go black? And he wanted to know about that moment of death. And I said, son, that's a great question. I have just the person we can ask. So, Father Wade, thank you so much for being with us today to talk about the, the last things when we die. Great to be on with you, Adam. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And it's an important time to talk about this topic. Going into November, the month of all holy souls in purgatory, the members of the Church penitent, also known as the members of the Church suffering, who rely on us, the members of the Church militant still living on earth, uh, united with the members of the Church triumphant in heaven uh, to pray for them. huh? And uh, this three-tiered hierarchy known as the doctrine of the communion of saints. And uh, so it's an important time of the liturgical year before we go into Advent to focus on the two comings of Christ themselves to look at this topic. It's an important one. It is. This is actually an area of specialty for you. You have written a book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. So you've spent quite a lot of time on this topic before, and uh, I, I want to jump in with this, that we actually have a term for this in the church vocabulary. We don't just call it the last things, but there's a word, eschatology. I wonder if you could break that down for us. Sure. Eschatology comes from the Greek word eschaton, which simply means the last. And so when we talk about the church's eschatology, we simply mean uh, in reference to the study of the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell three of which will apply to each one of us personally, right? Death, judgment, heaven, 
or hell, because it's impossible for the soul to go to both places uh, based on their judgment, will be one or the other. Now, the holy souls in purgatory are assured heaven, but there may be some time for temporal punishment to atone for after the time of earthly death before they can enter heaven, meaning, therefore, that if one dies already having fulfilled their temporal punishment uh, at the time of earthly death, they can go straight to heaven. That's very, very possible. In fact, that's God's plan A for us. But the, the study of eschatology per se is simply a study of the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, three of which apply to each one of us. Now, this is something that I have heard about, but some of our listeners I have been surprised to talk to, they haven't heard this term eschatology before, and it seems almost as if we haven't gone through this teaching in the last couple of decades. Is that an accurate perception, or is this, you know, has this changed over time? Well, the doctrine hasn't changed at all, but, um, you know, sadly, we could say that the doctrine of the four last things has seemingly been forgotten since the close of the Second Vatican Council, and this surely isn't the Council's fault. Vatican II is a solid, faithful, orthodox council that was truly ushered in by the Holy Spirit, the 21st Ecumenical Council of the Church. I like to describe it thus. Rather, the Church's eschatology was de-emphasized, we could say, at the insistence of those who deemed the harder truths— quote-unquote, of death and judgment to be unappealing to modern men and women. And so the post-Vatican II Church seemed to highlight the reality of heaven and salvation at the expense, we could say, of the Church's teachings on death and judgment, purgatory and hell. But the fact is uh, that heaven and hell, salvation and damnation, eternal life and eternal punishment are all complementary doctrines, right? They need each other to be complete and to be understood in a balanced way. In other words, focusing only on the positive or only on the negative of the four last things yields a very unbalanced view of our world and of the next. And Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, wants us to be balanced when studying and looking at the Church's eschatology. This is something that I, I find you and I come to quite often in our time together, that, that via media, that we're not going to one extreme or the other, but we're going the balanced approach down the middle. Well, let's dive into my son's question. At the moment of death, is that when everything happens at once that we have judgment, and then we find out purgatory, heaven, hell, whatever it may be. What, what do we know about when we die? Okay, you're describing what happens at the, quote, particular judgment, when the particular individual dies. And the particular judgment of the individual will be ratified at the general judgment for all to know what it is and why it is what it is. But when the particular judgment happens at the death of the individual, it's just between that person and the triune Godhead. And it will either be an immediate entrance into heaven or a delayed entrance into heaven based on the temporal punishment that still needs to be atoned for at the time of earthly death. If there is none to be atoned for at the time of earthly death, they enter into heaven immediately. And that, we could say, is God's plan A for us, I like to describe it as. His plan B for us, if you want to call it that, would be to go to purgatory, because, again, the holy souls in purgatory are assured heaven. That said, God's plan A for us is to go straight to heaven when we die. In fact, that was one of the main reasons why I wrote the book, uh, Adam, is because I, I met just too many Catholics who believe that purgatory was automatic at the time of death, that there was no way to avoid it, in other words, and that's just a heresy. Um, so it's in entrance into heaven immediately or delayed through purgatory, or an immediate entrance into hell if one dies in a state of purposeful, unrepentant mortal sin. The Church is very clear about that, and that's something to be remembered.
You know, number 1037 of the Catechism is very, very clear. Quote, God predestines no one to go to hell. For this, a willful turning away from God, a mortal sin, is necessary, and persistence in it until the end. In the Eucharistic liturgy, in fact, and in the daily prayers of her faithful, Holy Mother Church implores the mercy of God constantly, who does not want, quote, any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That said, it is a real possibility with human freedom and human will to die in a state of purposeful, unrepentant mortal sin. And if that's the case, one goes to hell by their own doing. Because again, God predestines no one to go to hell. So with hell, there is no prior delayed entrance into it. Like there could be with heaven based on temporal punishment fulfilled or not via purgatory. With with the reprobated, with the damned, that is, um, it's entrance immediately into hell. So that's the three choices, uh, or, or the three options is more an, appro an appropriate word when you're looking at the doctrine. Those are the three options for the time of the particular judgment of the individual. Now, that particular judgment of the individual will be ratified at the general judgment for all to know what it is and why it is what it is. And this is crucial, what I'm about to say now. This is part of the Church's teaching on this. For those who are saved in heaven, even the purgative souls in purgatory, who went to purgatory first, again, because they're assured heaven. For those who go to heaven, having their whole life revealed before all at the general judgment will be no source of embarrassment for them. Why? Because their life will show precisely how they welcomed God's mercy into it. For those who are reprobated, a nice way of saying damned, for those who are reprobated by their own doing, those who are reprobated having that particular judgment of the reprobation ratified at the general judgment will be a great source of embarrassment and horror for them, but not because of the life they lived or the sins they committed. That'll be secondary. The primary reason, the main reason why the reprobates will be embarrassed and horrified at having their particular judgment ratified at the general judgment for all to know what it is and why it is what it is, is because their life will show precisely how they rejected God's mercy in their life. That will be the primary reason why they are so embarrassed and horrified. Only the secondary reasons will be because of the sinful life they lived, okay? And so that's important to remember. God is constantly, constantly calling us to himself, and that cannot be forgotten. So I could be the most notorious of sinners in most of my lifetime, but if I have that moment of conversion— whether it, it comes now or, or later in life, and I repent, and I make a good confession, and I strive to live that life of holiness, and, and then daily from that point on, welcome in God's mercy and, and get to the sacraments and do all of the things that our Lord asks of us through the ministry of the Church, I won't be embarrassed by any of the, that notorious sinning I did because it will show how at that one point and then onward I chose the mercy of God. Exactly, exactly. And you may have more temporal punishment to atone for in purgatory in the situation you just described, but you can be assured of heaven because you repented. And and this is where we come back to what we talked about Monday, that, you know, we don't know the hour. So let's not plan on, well, I'll just have my conversion later. In fact, that would be presumption, and that yes. would be bad. And let me reword what I just said. I, I said you can have the assurance of heaven. You can have the assurance of a true hope for heaven, one of the three theological virtues. Yeah, you don't want to presume on on God's mercy, nor do you want to despair of God's mercy. There's a great quote by St. Jean-Marie Vianney, the patron saint of parish priests. He says, the person of true sanctity, of true holiness, is the one who is just as consciously aware of the dark side of himself 
as he is for his need for the grace and mercy of God. He holds both in a balance. Now, why is that important? Because if all we do is focus on our sins and and evil side, our bad side, that can lead to the sin of despair. But if all we do is focus on the love and mercy of God without any real effort to reform our lives, that can lead to the sin of presumption on God's mercy. So we don't want to despair of God's mercy, nor do we want to presume on God's mercy. Again, the person of true sanctity, true holiness, is the one who is just as consciously aware of the dark side of himself as he is for his need for the grace and mercy of God. He holds both in a balance. Well, that's what we're going to talk about next. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Father Wade Menezes from the Fathers of Mercy about eschatology, those last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And Father, we don't want to have a casual attitude about this, either being presumptuous of God's mercy or despairing. And and yet I meet so many people on the street as I go through my daily life that say, well, you know, I don't have anything to worry about. I'm, I'm generally a good person. Why would I go to hell? Why would God let me go to hell? Or they say, oh, look at my life. There, you know, there's no hope for me. I know I'm going to hell. I just hope I get a good room there. Relativism and our secular human culture certainly has had an impact on how this is viewed today, and and that's important for us to note so that we don't get swept up in the tide. Sure, and I can give you the, the, the corresponding attitude to each of the four last things as taught by Catholic Christian doctrine when it comes to the secular, humanistic, modern culture. For death, it's simply nihilism, the doctrine of nothingness in the hereafter or the afterlife. Uh, in regards to judgment, uh, it's the attitude of don't judge me. We, we even have judgment-free zones, right? Yet, at the same time, that same culture that promotes the don't judge me, judgment-free zones is the same culture that's ready to judge and cancel somebody through the cancel culture or the so-called woke culture. So this secular brand of reasoning is really diabolically contradictory. It's, it's very, very sad. It makes uh, an, an, an evil and a, and a more prevalent anger existent uh, throughout society. In regards to heaven, well, heaven is what you make it, uh, even an earthly utopia. Uh, look what the communists have tried to do. Look what the socialists have tried to do. But the truth is, is that heaven has been revealed to us. Uh, it's been revealed to us in the scriptures. And then hell has also been revealed to us. In regards to hell, we hear the secularist saying, the humanist saying, a merciful God would never create such a place, nor permit it to exist, uh, nor ever let anyone go there. Well, we, we just heard number 1037 of the Catechism. God doesn't send anybody to hell, but it surely exists. In Jesus' own words, he tells us in the Gospels that it exists. And uh, God is God, and a willful, purposeful turning away from him does not bode well for the individual when it comes to mortal sin and dying in that state of mortal sin. So instead, the secular world's five foremost things to counteract the, the four last things as taught by Christian doctrine, revealed Christian doctrine, is, is tolerance, equality, progress, inclusion, and diversity. The acronym TEPID, uh, TEPID in the faith, right? Lukewarmness in the faith. Now, by the way, th- there's nothing wrong with these five things at all, okay? This acronym of TEPID, there's nothing wrong with those things if they are rooted in the natural law and God's divine law regarding the dignity of the human person made in God's own image and likeness. There's nothing wrong with that at all. The problem is they're not. They're purely secular takes on what these five words mean. We're talking about the four last things with Father Wade Menezes this morning on Roadmap to Heaven. We're going to stop here and take a break, but we will continue the conversation when we come back.
We are back. We are talking about eschatology this morning, death, judgment, heaven, and hell with Father Wade Menezes. Father, before when we've had you on the show, we have talked about the sacrament of reconciliation, and we've talked about contrition, and we talk about that perfect contrition and imperfect contrition. And one of the things that, that you bring up as we talk about eschatology in the last things is the servile fear of God and filial fear of God. And I wonder if those are related to what we've talked about before with perfect and imperfect contrition and how those factor into how we view all of this as we prepare for death. Well, Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And St. Paul is clear there, as are uh, the church fathers writing the early church centuries, uh, giving us an exegesis on Scripture with that particular passage, Philippians 2.12, is that Paul is referring to a filial fear of God, not a servile fear of God. A servile fear of God is a fear of punishment. Um, The filial fear is the fear of not wanting to disappoint precisely because you know your parent loves you. It comes from the Latin filius, which means son huh? or, or child. Um, so the filial fear of God is the fear of the child who doesn't want to disappoint the loving parent, not because he believes that if he does so, a punishment will come, but rather because if he does so, he will disappoint the parent. And that's what he doesn't want to do. Where the servile fear is the the servant under the um, the master mentality, huh? Uh, it's one that's fear of punishment, and that's not the kind of fear of God we're supposed to have. And so it's important when striving to be eternity minded, uh, focused on the four last things: death, judgment, heaven, and hell. We want to have a filial fear to all that's been revealed. Um, about the four last things. You know, it's a doctrine that no human person should take lightly. And, you know, the truth is one day we shall die and be judged. And our eternity will either be one of salvation in heaven with Christ and the saints, or it will be one of reprobation in hell with the devils and the damned. And the choice is ours to make, really. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. The doctrine of the four last things also means that there is no such thing as reincarnation, but that immediately after death, each person is judged and receives his or her eternal destiny based on the mortal living of their life here on earth, which the latest statistics show is an average of 79 years for those of us living in the West. And interestingly enough, and this is rather beautiful, the traditional Latin term, Adam, for the four last things is novissima, meaning the newest of things. For indeed, when they happen at the time of earthly death, they are the newest things the individual uh, experiences. Uh, three of which will apply to him, death, judgment, heaven, or hell. And so death puts an end to life as the time open to either accepting or rejecting the divine grace manifested in Jesus Christ for us. And so each person receives his or her eternal retribution in their immortal soul at the very moment of death. And again, that's called the particular judgment. Uh, The particular judgment refers one's life to Christ with an entrance into heaven, which can be either immediate or delayed, as I said earlier, by a prior purification and purgatory, or with an immediate entrance into hell, uh, which is everlasting. And so this teaching is clearly, clearly upheld by sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium, that is the the teaching office of the church rooted in the apostolic college. And and I want to make clear, and this gets back to the filial fear versus servile fear, the fear of not wanting to disappoint versus the fear of punishment. The doctrine of the four last things is not meant to frighten us. No, not at all. Rather, it is meant to lead us to live more faithful Christian lives here on earth. And, And one meditation sums it up beautifully when it states, quote, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. These are the four last things toward which we are moving each hour and minute of the day and night. These will never frighten us if our conscience is clear. 
If we love God in our daily life and are sincerely trying to know and follow his most holy will, we have no reason to fear whatsoever. And by keeping this eternal goal ever before us, we shall think straight when life's problems and difficulties face us. End quote. So again, we, we must strive to be eternity-minded, not in a morbid sense, but for example, let me give you a beautiful example of being eternity-minded. Upon awaking each morning and getting out of bed, make a morning offering. For example, to the most sacred heart of Jesus and to the immaculate heart of Mary. How do you know that that's not going to be the day that you're going to die? The day that I die, Adam, I pray to God that I will have made a morning offering that morning. How about the two examinations of conscience each day? The, the particular exam at midday, close with an act of contrition, and the general examination of conscience at the end of the day when you look at your whole day generally. Close that with an act of contrition. Each one of those two examinations of conscience is just a, a 60 to 90 second spiritual practice. How about monthly confession? How about weekly Eucharist with Sunday Mass? Uh, these are ways that we strive to live eternity-minded without really even thinking of the so-called, quote, four last things, right? So it, it's like diet, right? Oh, oh, I diet. Well, when you say diet, do you mean you're dieting, uh, taking on a new fad, or do you mean you diet regularly, meaning it's a way of life? It's become habitual in regards to how you eat, you know, low carb, uh, no carbonation, no sugars, dessert only now and again, regular exercise, you know, what, how do you do it? So is diet a way of life or is diet a fad? So when I say be eternity minded, I mean as a way of life, the true sense of diet. I don't mean dieting with the latest fad. So being eternity minded should not be a morbid thing. No, that, that would be a morbid way of taking on the eschatology of the church. But by doing these other things, monthly confession, weekly Eucharist, examination of conscience, daily rosary like Our Lady of Fatima calls for, praying with your spouse and so forth and your children, uh, these are ways that we live eternity-minded or eternity-mindedness without per se focusing per se on the four last things. You've given us a lot of, of different daily things we can hopefully incorporate if we're not doing so already. But one that you didn't mention I'd like to bring up is the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. And why is the, the chaplet such an important devotion when it comes to the study of the Church's eschatology? Well, because there's 14 major promises that our Lord gives to St. Faustina that are peppered throughout her diary. And over three-fourths of them have to do with the very moment of death when the person dies. Uh, so, for example, uh, diary number 754, he tells Faustina, My daughter, the souls that pray this chaplet will be embraced by my mercy during their lifetime and especially at the hour of their death. Uh, diary number 1541, he says, When hardened sinners say it, my daughter, meaning the chaplet, I will fill their souls with peace and the hour of their death will be a happy one, huh? It just goes on and on. Diary 687, whoever will recite this chaplet will receive great mercy at the very hour of their death, which is the time of the particular judgment. So, you know, 14 major promises, and uh, that's important. And by the way, if, if your listeners, Adam, go to fathersofmercy.com, and at the homepage of my community's website, fathersofmercy.com, if they click on the magnifying class icon, a search bar comes up in the middle of the page. All they have to do is type in Divine Mercy Chaplet Promises, and it comes up right away, these 14 promises that our Lord made to St. Faustina regarding those who pray the chaplet faithfully and regularly. Um, they can print it off on their home printer as a PDF document. He tells Faustina, I am giving you this devotion to prepare the world for my second coming. In fact, there's eight times that he mentions, quote, the second coming to St. Faustina. 
And there's one time that our Blessed Mother appears to Faustina, and she references the second coming of her son to St. Faustina. So a total of nine times. That can also be printed off at fathersofmercy.com as a PDF document. I have both documents there. So the 14 promises and the, the nine times total, eight from Our Lord and one from Our Lady, that the, the end of the world is mentioned. And, and I just want to say a beautiful quote from now St. John Paul II. He says, quote, the church cannot omit without serious mutilation of her essential message a constant catechesis on what the traditional Christian language calls the four last things of the human person, death and judgment, that is to say both particular and general, and heaven and hell. So it is, he continues, St. John Paul II, so it is that in a culture that tends to imprison man in the earthly life at which he is more or less successful, the pastors of the church are asked to provide a sound catechesis which will reveal and illustrate with the certainties of faith precisely what comes after this present earthly life. Beyond the mysterious gates of death, one either inherits an eternity of joy and communion with God or the eternal punishment of separation from him. Only in this eschatological vision of the human person, from the word eschatology, only in this eschatological vision of the human person can one realize the exact nature and reality of sin and feel decisively moved to both repentance and reconciliation. So this, Adam, then, is a very sound reason as to why we should study the church's eschatology, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. By the way, that quote from John Paul II comes from his landmark 1984 apostolic exhortation, Reconciliatio et Penitentia, which is reconciliation and penance, uh, on the sacrament of confession. That's where that quote comes from. It comes from the document on confession. And so we see now the link of conversion, repentance, reconciliation, compunction of heart, etc., tied to the church's eschatology. Father, when we talk about these devotions, I think of not just the devotions, but also the sacraments, the sacrament of penance that, that you just mentioned. Sometimes I think our culture looks at our devotion as a superstitious transactional practice, that, oh, if I just do these things, God will do this for me. Here's the cost, and this is what I get in return for it. That's really an error to think of it that way. Is it more accurate to, to look at it as, if I pray these devotions with the last things in mind, odds are better that I'm opening myself up to grace, and if I'm opening myself up to grace, then that grace will actually work in my life, but if I just shut off the spigot, there's no way grace can work. Right. You don't want to carry out these devotions like the daily examination of conscience, uh, the, the morning offering, just in a robotic way. You do it wanting to give yourself fully to the triune Godhead, all things to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your personal life, your marriage, uh, your singlehood, your newly found widowed state, if you're a recent widow or widower, my priesthood I want to give daily to the Blessed Trinity, all things to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and the Sunday Mass and monthly confession, um, you know, these things help supplement that love that I have for my triune Godhead with Mary and the saints assisting me and my guardian angel. I ask all of them to open me up to the triune Godhead's daily sanctifying grace in my life. And again, it's not so much a particular focus on the four last things as it is wanting to live each day grace-filled to become that best version of self on a daily basis while living on earth for this average of this 79 years. Again, the latest longevity statistics for those of us 
living in the West, um, to, to be that best version of myself while living in the midst of the modern world. Um, you know, that, that's why I do these things. And it leads me simultaneously to be eternity minded. And, and that cannot be lost sight of. And, and that's just a, a, a great thing. You know, um, the catechism asks, what does it mean to die in Christ Jesus? And dying in Christ means to die in the state of God's grace without any mortal sin. And, and a believer in Christ following his example is thus able to transform his own death into an act of obedience and love for the Father. Second Timothy chapter 2, 11 tells us, the saying is sure, if we have died with him, we shall also Rise live with him. him. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's, that's important. And I, I want to also quote in that regard, now this is crucial, Adam, what I'm about to tell you here and, and our listeners. Catechism of the Catholic Church number 1010 tells us literally what the physical act of dying does and what it means, okay? It says this, because of Christ, Christian death has a positive meaning. What is essentially new about Christian death, however, is this, that through baptism, the Christian has already died with Christ sacramentally through the three-time immersion symbolic of that death in order to live a new life. And if we die in Christ's grace, then physical death actually completes this dying with Christ, a same act he did for us on the cross, and so it completes our incorporation from the Latin incorporate, meaning in the body of, and so completes our incorporation into him in his redeeming act. So the literal, actual act of dying per se, however that happens, whether it's in a car accident, whether it's through a slow demise like through cancer, whatever, if the person dies in a state of sanctifying grace, that physical act of dying literally per se completes the incorporation of that individual into the life of Christ who carried out the same act for each and every one of us on the cross. The incorporate takes place. The in the body of Christ officially becomes complete. Are we members of Christ's body now in the church? Yes, we are. But the literal act of dying completes that uh, partaking as a member of his body. And that's number 1010 of the Catechism, which is just a beautiful, beautiful doctrine of the Church on Christian death, which can bring great comfort, say, to the parents who practice the faith lovingly and vividly in their life, and so do their teenagers. And unfortunately, one of their teenagers may die suddenly in a car accident, let's say. But they have the, the knowledge that their son, let's say, practiced regularly monthly confession. He received the Eucharist. In fact, he received it just two days ago at Sunday Mass, and all of a sudden a car accident takes his life. How comforting this number 1010 out of the Catechism is to bring comfort to that grieving mother and father, that that literal act of death, even though it came suddenly out of nowhere as a sudden tragedy, they have reason to believe died in a state of sanctifying grace because of how he practiced the faith lovingly and vividly. That act of death brings about the full incorporation of their son into Christ. It just brings a great, great comfort. But wait, there's more. I always have wanted to say that on the radio, but wait, there's more, Father. <laughs> that, that the Church not only gives us this great teaching, she gives us a patron for this. And, and we're wrapping up the year of St. Joseph in just a few weeks, and, and we call St. Joseph the patron of a happy death. So even the saints are with us as we go through this process interceding for us. But I wonder in particular, why do we call St. Joseph the patron of a happy death? Great question, because of the very, very, very strong sacred tradition in the life of Holy Mother Church and her 2,000 years of existence, that when Joseph died, 
He was flanked on either side of his deathbed by both his spouse, the Blessed Virgin, and his foster son, the God-man Jesus Christ, incarnate, the second person of the Trinity. And that's a holy death, to be flanked by both. And so, Adam, when I die, whether it's in a car accident suddenly during my mission travels, whether it's through a slow demise through cancer, I pray to God that I am flanked, like Joseph, on either side of me with the Blessed Mother and the God-man Jesus Christ, with Joseph in front of me and my guardian angel behind me. I pray for that grace daily, regardless of how I die. And that's a, a great thing indeed to pray for daily as part of our morning offering, you know, as part of our morning offering. That, that's a great image to have in our minds. And that takes us right back to those promises of Our Lady of Fatima and our Lord to St. Margaret Mary Ellico with the Chaplet of Divine Mercy and the Divine Mercy Devotion, that if, if we want to be flanked by our Blessed Mother and by her Son, well, they've, they've told us what to do. Now it's up to us to do it. Father, I, I can't thank you enough for breaking open this topic with us. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I wonder if I could ask you to close us out with a prayer. You certainly can. Can I just finish with one quote from St. Gertrude? She encapsulates exactly what I just said about regardless of how we die. St. Gertrude the Great, she says, quote, For I trust in whatever manner I die, that I shall not be deprived of the mercy of my God, without which my eternal ruin would be inevitable. Whether I die an unprepared death suddenly, through an accident, or whether I have long anticipated my end through a lengthy illness, may the mercy of God envelop me at the moment of death. Isn't that just beautiful? It is. She, she talks about both cases, huh? The, the immediate or the slow demise. Adam, it's always a joy to be with you and your listeners, and may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of you and remain with you this day and always. And I usually say St. Joseph, terror of demons, and I will say that as I just did, but also St. Joseph, patron saint of a happy death. Pray for us. Friends, you've been listening to Father Wade Menezes here with us on Roadmap to Heaven. Always a joy to have you, Father. We look forward to the next time. We're going to stop here and get a check of the weather and that daily dose of encouragement. We'll be back after this. For your Wednesday, look for a high of 62 degrees today. It'll be breezy. Winds out of the southeast at times will gust past 30 miles an hour, and clouds will move in this afternoon. But we are dry today. After midnight, that changes. Rain moves in with a low 48 and rain for both Thursday and Friday with breezy north winds and highs in the middle 50s. On Saturday, clouds in the morning, afternoon sun with a high of 60. On Halloween, mostly sunny with a high of 62. Here we are on this Wednesday. It is time for another Daily Dose of Encouragement with Patty Schneier, and we're talking about reverence. This week, Patty, I have to admit, I'm getting my notepad out to write all of these things down. This is great. <laughs> well, I hope that these are helpful. Again, we're talking about reverence, ways to show our reverence. We're showing how the body, we reverence God through the body. And yesterday we talked about reverence for the Eucharist. Today I want to talk about why and how beautiful it is that we actually reverence the human body as well. God made our bodies in the image and likeness of him. We are to image the Trinity in and through our bodies. So we need to have a holy reverence for the human body. And our Catholic Church does this beautifully. If you think about it, we know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and the body reveals the person. So even at, for example, a funeral, we place the pall on the casket, reminding us of the baptism of that person and our reverence for the body. We incense the body before the body is taken to burial. Very important things we do to the body. We um, should also reverence our bodies 
in that sacred, sacred, holy act between husband and wife, the marital embrace. You know, many people think that we think too much of the sexual union. We think too much of sexuality in our culture. The fact of the matter is, we don't think enough of it. It is holy. It is sacred. We show reverence to God and reverence to the other person in how we unite in that marital embrace. So I want to just encourage people to think about reverence. If you are married, reverence the body of your spouse. It is given to you as a gift from God. Reverence your own body. Take care of it through proper nutrition, health, exercise. It is a gift from God. All of this is to say God is in all of it, and we show our reverence by how we reverence our bodies. I'm really glad that I remembered to bring my notepad today for this Daily Dose of Encouragement because you have given me a lot to think about. Friends, this has been another Daily Dose of Encouragement right here on Covenant Network. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven on this Wednesday morning, October 27th. So here is the situation. Let me tell you what the situation is, as my my almost youngest daughter would say. It's Wednesday. You're awake. You're listening to the show. You've got the rest of the day ahead of you. What are you going to do with it? That's my question for you today. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to grow in holiness today, or are you going to sit back and coast and just keep on with the same routine. You know, no matter who we are, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey from those who are very far advanced down the road that, I mean, that you're doing all the right things each and every day to those that are just starting out, we all could be doing better. We should never get complacent. We should never get complacent. So what are you going to do Wednesday? What are you going to do today to grow in your faith, to grow holier? Are you going to do that midday exam? Are you going to do that examination of conscience tonight? Or what are your prayers are you going to pray throughout the day? How are you going to order your day so that you grow closer to our Lord? If this is the first time you're thinking about it today, okay, well, here it is. It's the first time. Don't let it be the last. Think about tomorrow when you get to tomorrow. But that's before us each and every day. You know, I had an opportunity this morning that I had to catch myself, and I'm very grateful for uh, – the assistance I had in in catching myself, that I was about to get really hot-tempered and upset at something that happened with our van, right? That it was just the kids made a mess of it. And then I realized that just my schedule recently, have I been doing everything I could to help my wife with the kids so that that wouldn't happen? And I I took a good hard look at it, and I said, no. No, I hadn't. So today, what am I going to do differently? First thing I did was I did not send my wife. She's at work. I did not send her a hot-tempered text message. How could you let the van get so dirty? No, it's it's a day now that I'm going to pray for her. That's one thing I've decided. I am going to humbly, in, well, I don't know. I just said this on the radio, so maybe it's a moot point. But I'm going to clean the van out today without grumbling. That's That's my goal for the day. Without grumbling, I'm going to clean out the van today. The kids are going to help. Don't get me wrong. They're going to help, but we're going to do it without grumbling. And then I'm going to not get upset with them. That is my goal. It's not to say, why did you let this van become such a mess? But just to say, hey, the van's a mess. We need to clean it out. Let's do it. Let's do it without grumbling, and we'll go from there. Hey, that's one small thing I could do today. I don't know what it is for you, but think of it and do it. Become holier today. Strive to become a saint today. 
Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to thank Father Wade Menezes for taking the time to be with us. It was a pretty in-depth look today, and uh, but I'm grateful for it. Friday morning, we'll be back with the Roadmap Roundup. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite saints. We're going to be talking about the need to pray for the faithful departed. And, uh, you know, you might find out what my Halloween costume is this year. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. For all of us here at Covenant Network, I want to thank you for listening. Do not forget to pray your rosary today. Have a blessed day.